Welcome to the Peak Endurance Podcast, where your host, Isabel Ross, interviews experts and athletes in the field of endurance sports. Isabel Ross is a three-time Australian long-distance mountain running representative at the World Championships with a best finishing place of 10th female. Twice Australian trail champion, she has won the six-foot track marathon, run a sub-three-hour marathon, and won a 24-hour track race overall with a distance of 198.7 kilometers, as well as competing in and winning grueling ultramarathons in rugged, mountainous terrain. Isabel has raced all over the world, including participating in the notorious Barkley Marathons. Isabel is an Australian and USA-accredited endurance coach working with athletes of all levels and is a certified UESCA ultra running coach. She's also a personal trainer and podcast host. Are injuries or niggles ruining your enjoyment of running and hindering your performance? Get on top of these and see the specialists at Health and High Performance. Utilising the latest in technology and with a wealth of experience, the team at Health and High Performance can assist you with all your running, injury and performance needs. So get back to enjoying your running and achieving the results you are capable of. Head to healthhp.com.au forward slash run or find them on Instagram at healthhighperformance. Health and High Performance are located in Montalbert, Melbourne, but are available for telehealth appointments not only Australia-wide, but also around the world. Contact them on their website to find out more. Wild Earth Australia are the online store to help you make the most out of the outdoors with top quality gear at great prices. Peak Endurance podcast listeners can use the discount code PEAKENDURANCE in all capitals to get 10% off at checkout. Head on over to wildearth.com.au to get everything you need for your next adventure. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Episode 112 is an interview with Bo Miles. Bo describes himself as an award-winning filmmaker, polyjobber, speaker, writer, odd. If you have seen his videos on YouTube or at running festivals, you might even agree. In this episode, we discuss his new book, The Backyard Adventurer, Meaningful and Pointless Expeditions, Self-Experiments and the Value of Other People's Junk. I really love that title. It really explains his book well. I have read it and I also really enjoyed it, so you've got to grab a copy. I am planning a new bonus episode that involves listener feedback again. I would like to know what is the best running advice you have ever received and why was it so good or important? To be involved, get onto Facebook and private message me, Isabel.r, with an audio message answering that question. I would love to get as many listeners on as possible and can't wait to hear your answers. If you enjoy this episode, please go on over to Apple Podcasts or any platform that you listen on to rate, review and subscribe. It really helps grow the audience and the show. Thank you so much. If you want to be your best, you need to be coached by the best. I have the experience and the knowledge to get you to your running peak. If you love to challenge yourself, email me, Isabel, at preconduranceCoaching.com.au to get a program designed just for you. Enjoy the podcast. Hi, Bo, and welcome to the Peak Endurance Podcast. Thanks for having me, Izzy. No worries. No, just for anyone who might not know, which I find hard to believe, but can you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, your athletic background, and how you got into running? Uh, it was the first thing I did uh, running. The first thing I did that 
genuinely gave me a sense of young, I suppose, adult bow growing into something else. Oh, no, that's not true. A, a sort of a kid that was growing into someone who was, I suppose, pre-adult. Anyway, I ran to the end of the road and back and I thought, wow, this is amazing. It's given me the ability to, to be autonomous and leave the property on my own two feet. Uh, it was great. And that sort of, yeah, the bug bit. And I thought, gee, this is, this is a pretty cool way of getting around. How long ago was that? I was 14 and oh. I actually remember um, I was having a Barney with my dad and my stepmom and I was out chopping wood and it just sort of wasn't blowing up and off, uh, off enough steam. And I, I mean, every kid runs around. I was a sport nut as a kid. Not much good at it, I might add, but I, I played lots of sport. And, and so I just, I went for a run. Um, I didn't ask dad and that would be the sort of thing I would have usually. Dad, can I leave the property? Can I go for a run? And I just did. And off I went and it was momentous. Yeah. Oh, that's great. And, um, and, and I agree with you, but it just being yourself and, and your own movement, getting you out there. <clears throat> were you actually wearing runners or what were you wearing at the time? Yeah, I was wearing runners, um, off shop runners that my mum would have bought me. I never had um, new shoes as a kid. Yeah. So it was always just whatever I was wearing, my feet were still growing and, um, I couldn't remember what they were. I think they were tracks and <laughs> tracks runners. Never and in them. many respects, they kind of, they, it's kind of mapped my, I'm really not fussy about what's on my feet. Um, oh, although good. I have been in the last year or two, but before that, uh, well, any kind of runners, no worries. Never a kind of, yeah, I was never a brandist. Yeah, fair enough. Um, so you say in your intro to your website that you are an award-winning filmmaker, polyjobist, speaker, writer, odd. Can you explain those different titles? Yeah, I, I'd even change. I'm gonna. I'm in the midst of reinventing that in a sense as well because I think that sort of says too much about a pretty simple bloke. I try not to be a specialist, and unfortunately, working in the university sector for a long time, uh, ten or twelve years, you, yeah. you, your bread and butter is being a specialist, being known to be excellent or a thought leader on one particular thing. I think that's really flawed. So my sort of resistance to that was to be. I mean, I've, I'm, I don't think I'm smart enough to be a polymath. You know, the, the great polymaths of when people really are experts as a, as a dancer and an athlete and a physicist, I, I, I don't have that capacity, but I can be good at lots of things like building a deck or renovating a house and going for a long run in the evening and, uh, I don't know, appreciating ballet. I really think that's cool. So I, I like the idea of being many things and, and not just one. Uh, and then the filmmaking thing. Yep, I, I'm making. I'm standing three meters away from a edit screen at the moment. My um, filmmaking partner Mitch is editing uh, our latest film, which will come out in the next week or two. And so I have a really diverse, excellent life as a dad and as a runner and a paddler and a filmmaker and a writer. And I think they're all equally potent. Yeah. And what do you mean by odd then? Uh, willingness to be odd is to is to follow through with the weird ideas that we all have so I reckon Izzy on your run this morning which was an underwhelming run you told me yes. I reckon you had some thoughts out there that were pretty weird that you might have seen some weird stuff or thought some weird things and these are really personal things and, and I think often we don't follow through some of the the ideas we have because they're difficult they're um they take a lot of time and you're not quite sure if you're going to enjoy it or not. In many respects, I'm, I'm happy to be labelled odd. And I, don't, and I don't say I'm odd because I want to be special. I say yeah. I'm odd because I think 
I often follow through with the things I think, and I don't think uh, a lot of people do it now because it's it's tricky or it's challenging or it, it's potentially a waste of time. Mm. But it's um, all those odd things that have really created a great story of your life, isn't it? Yeah, I, and I, I'm learning that too, that to be a point of difference as a storyteller, uh, you have to look at things five or eight or 10% differently. And, and I like that. I like the idea that I'm a pretty normal, regular Joe, but you've only got to do things slightly differently to have that point of difference. Mm. Uh, and why not? And, and explore that. And I'm happy for every... And Mitch, who's, you know, standing a few metres from me now, my filmmaking mate, he's, for every great idea I have, I have a couple of bad ones or ones that don't quite hit the mark. <laughs> so I'm, I'm willing to, to sort of be a sacrificial lamb with my dodgy ideas and, and every now and again, they really pull off. Yeah, that's good. Now, you recently actually put out a book called The Backyard Adventurer, Meaningful and Pointless Expeditions, Self-Experiments and the Value of Other People's Junk. What made you decide to write a book and how did you come up with that title? The title took a while and you know what, I'm still not, I love the strap line, the one you just read then, that, yeah. that was probably, that has more meaning to me because it's pretty on point. The Backyard Adventurer, I don't know, a lot of people have been doing backyard adventuring forever. My grandfather who died a few years ago at, at almost 90 he never left victoria oh, wow. he was a hunter and a fisher and a forester i mean he was a true victorian and i'm probably far more uh, spread out than that i spent 10 years overseas and so when i call myself a backyard adventurer i think oh that's a bit fraudulent in in some respects it's um it's to be what i'm going to become is, is this person who is far happier being local and I am, I'm just far happier being local now. And I know that that's taken a long time to get to that stage. So oh, look, I was approached for my book. I did, I walked to work a few years ago and it got right. a national newspapers, put it up in a spread and it was a really well-read well article. And I got lots of attention from it, lots of media afterwards and including some publishers that said, hey, Bo, I think you're quirky enough. And I'd written a lot of blogs by then on my webpage. So they they knew I could write a little and I'd, I'd finished my PhD so I'd written in the long form and so they said hey come write a book for us and so I did and here it is the backyard adventure it's all pretty fun to be yeah out and about doing this sort of book launch thing even amidst COVID. <laughs> so yeah and uh, that's always going to provide a challenge for everything isn't it um, so what made you in the last few years want to stay closer to home? Uh, Look, I, I think it started out easy as a really practical thing that I had a, a permanent job at Monash University that was, um, it was an excellent job. I loved it. Loved working with the students and the people I worked with and the challenge of working for a big administration. It was like working for a government, working for such a big mm. university. So I really liked it. I didn't want to leave in a sense. Um, I had some tremendous freedoms with that. Academics are they're quite a, it's quite a free role. You can make it what you want in some respects. Uh, but I couldn't go away though for, for big chunks of time anymore. And I didn't really want to, that want would was waning. So, you know, just that simple thing of commuting. I'd never really been a commuter because I'd been a seasonal worker for 10 or 15 years, following the seasons like a migratory bird. You know, I'd sort of go where the work was. Monash locked me down and, and I thought, you know, I kind of like this. I like the paycheck. I, I didn't think about money for years in a sense. Things just got paid for and money got fed to your account. And so I then was starting to look for versions of my prior adventurous life in 
my every day, which was commuting to work or, or in and around Frankston or where I live. And so it was very much a practical transition, but one that once I started to do these small ideas that were coming to me, um, it was great. And I thought, wow, what a revelation. It's bang for buck in your life. And so I'm really sold on the idea of doing more in less space and less time. So within your book, um, what did you, you know, it's, I've obviously read it, um, but what, tell the listeners a bit what the book is about specifically. Well, I mean, I, I was a young bloke who had that, you know, we're, us Australians were such lucky travellers. And if you've got a few bucks and you've got a supporting family and I, I know I'm lucky, I know I'm lucky. And I travelled an awful lot as, as a young man and as a, in my 20s and into my 30s, I travelled all over the joint. It gave me a real sense of myself and humanity and the world at large and how big the world is. Um, my book very much maps my prior life in about a chapter. You know, here's Bo up until this point and how we got here. And then I tell most of the book is about the last five years of doing these sort of antic films. And so in many respects, each chapter is a, is a film and it further unpacks the idea of my, my back out adventuring, you know, running around the block and doing a bunch of jobs or walking to work or eating lots of beans and, and running. Uh, and so it's, there's the chronology of it is there. It's definitely a sort of a, an A to B of a 40 year old bow but the majority of the book is about the last five years of adventuring around, around home turf. And so what has been your favourite backyard adventure so far? Oh, look, the beauty is of um, something like a mile an hour. So this is a, a film where I ran around my block at the top of the hour, every hour for 24 hours, Love including that. a few laps at the start. So it was essentially a marathon distance spread over 24 hours and in between these laps of the block I'd do all sorts of whatever was in the barn that needed doing or the lawns or picking fruit whatever it might be actually I never picked fruit but I chopped the fruit trees <laughs> it was um it was a real like people think it's a real stunt you know why, why would you do this Bo this is crap you're never going to do this in your real life and they're totally true but it, it's it's still something to do it's a story and it was really fun and rewarding and it was it ended up being a great story that people really resonate with. You know, I got an email this morning from a bloke in Waco, Texas, who did this around oh, wow. his own yard. <laughs> and I get them every week. And they've been copied by, you know, they've run events in the UK based on the very idea of a mile an hour. Um, lots of charities are doing it now. So it, it's, an, it's a, an idea that gives me great satisfaction, the fact that it's really caught on. I think it's on par with other things, you know, running the old train line that I grew up next to, but don't, don't know very well when I retraced that, that was really rewarding and satisfying. And I think it's a beautiful film, but as an idea, I suppose you can't go past a mile an hour for something that really resonates with people and touching an audience. Yeah, no, I have to admit, I love that one particularly as well. I mean, I love all of them, but uh, yeah, no, the, I also watched the one where you walk to work and I read about it in your book. And, and it was interesting because, you know, I watched the, the YouTube video of you walk, walking to work and then I read it later and it just gave me more of an insight into your thoughts and that sort of stuff while you were doing it. Can you um, tell the listeners what prompted you to, to walk to work and just how it all went down? Well, I am, I'm a, I made it, made a pack to myself. I've made a couple of packs in life. One, I was 16. I thought I'm never going to eat Maccas again or junk food. I thought this is just crap. There's too much good food in the world. And I, yeah. and I was really proud of myself for making that a, a pact when I was 16. 
Um, and, and likewise, when I was 25, 26, caught in traffic uh, in Melbourne, and I thought I will never, ever in my life be ca caught in traffic. And ever sort of since that era, I've always been fascinated by the human ability to sit in traffic and to do these mundane commutes where we just cleave off huge chunks of time to get to work. Mm -hmm. And in many respects, how much that's lost time. So I remember thinking this, um, and, and I mapped when I worked in Frankston, when I worked at a university and I live in the country, I'd drive 75 odd minutes or an hour of 75 minutes to work. And I thought, gee, I always would manipulate the drive so that it would be interesting. I thought, well, one day on the way, I thought, well, why don't I try walking to work? Um, make a film out of it. That's a sort of a backyard adventure. And it's something that I do every day, but I really want to see it with more intimacy. In a sense, to, to layer up my commute uh, with ideas and things that are experiences. And so that's what I did. I, I walked to work and uh, left with bugger all, left with just the clothes on my back and uh, made everything up as I went, my shelter, my food, my water. And it was excellent, a real insight into me and humanity. Yeah. And and you had to um, gather all your stuff for sleeping at night too, didn't you? Yeah, I made all that out of things like carpet in, insulation and housing insulation and cardboard and people's dodgy... Uh, whenever you find clothes on the side of the road, is they're generally there for a reason. You know, people have got car sick and they need oh, something gross. to mop up the mess and whatever. So, yeah. Oh, I, I, I didn't think of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sometimes they fall out of cars, but often they don't. They're there for a reason. So that's pretty gross. But anyway, I was pretty warm and um, I slept beautiful. Well, I didn't sleep much, but I was comfortable and it was a really nice rest and I trucked on the next day to work. But yeah, made my swag and uh, either found money and, and bought food from the servo or I just ate whatever I found and it was it was fun. Yeah, yeah, that was quite interesting watching you um, find drinks and, and drink that. Yeah, a lot of people think, I did too actually, for 35 years of my life, I thought that, you know, that, that sort of watered down Coke colour in Coke bottles by the side of the road was someone taking a leak, yeah. a roadside leak in the water bottle and flinging it out the window. But now it's just coke that's been nuked by the sun because ah. the, the black food dye loses its blackness and it actually almost goes almost back clear. Ah. So it tastes like coke, but just looks like this sort of clear watered down version, luckily, because um, I do the sniff test each time <laughs> thinking I think that was enough. Uh, and, it, and it was. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take your word for it. I don't think I'll ever try. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, you also um, filmed yourself sitting in your garden drinking a bottle of wine that you also find. Can you tell us how that video came about? I, I really loved that one too. It was, it was a bit different to the others. Yeah, it was quite reflective and it was just, uh, so I was visiting my mum and mum lives in the affluent suburbs of Melbourne where people throw out all sorts of wonderful things on the side of the road. Uh, and amongst all this other great stuff was a bottle of wine, a 20 year old mm -hmm. bottle of wine that someone had turfed out with a cork in it. I thought, gee, that's probably off by now. Um, but I'm going to put it in the, in the shed and drink it one day. And very rarely do I drink a whole bottle of wine by myself these days. But um, yeah, I, I thought I'm going to drink this bottle of wine. And, and it was about the same time when uh, a YouTube subscriber said, hey, Bo, you're a great storyteller. I reckon you could tell a pretty good yarn just by sitting in the middle of a field. And I thought, right, why don't I put these two things together, a bottle of wine and sitting in the middle of my paddock? Um, and I'll just sort of reflect on the world. And I based it all on these Insta questions that came through, which were hundreds. I think it was yeah. 500 questions that came through Insta. 
And so I got to about 25 or 30 of them and, and um, yeah, just had this conversation with an online world. Yeah, it was very cool. So, you know, listeners should check that out if they haven't already. Um, <clears throat> now, you are an avid environmentalist and, and um, you discuss a lot of what you see in, in your adventures in the book um, and, and your feelings about some of the impacts on the environment by people. How do you reconcile yourself with being, you know, environmentally friendly and, and our, like your own impact on the earth? Because we all have an impact, I guess, you know. Yeah, very much so. I'm I'm becoming more and more critical of my impacts, and I and I fear the impacts of humans based on my own morality and ethics. For the most part, I have a pretty good moral compass of what I, what is good for the earth and me, and me as just another animal living on this on this planet. Uh, but I also know I'm flawed as well. I, I sometimes choose the easy way out and and don't. Uh, you know, this last night we had pasta. We had the fresh pasta that comes in those plastic containers yep. with a, a, a thin plastic veil over the top. Now you can recycle both of those parts. Um, and so, you know, this morning when I was putting out the recycling, I divided the two up um, and even gave it a, a rinse out and whatnot. But I, I, I won't. Hang on a second, you've just dropped down. One, are they, well, one, are these things going to be recycled in the first place? Because I know that that's really flawed in Australia right now. Yes, I and always wonder that too. Yeah. I know it's a really horrible I thing, do. but yeah. I don't I don't question it enough. And so I've I've already rang my local shire and said, uh, is our stuff being following up or whether I should just be not buying plastic in the first place? And to be honest, there's my answer. Yeah. I should not have bought this bloody plastic filled pasta or the pasta surrounded by plastic it's really stupid and so there you but, go I've got all of this stuff floating you, around in my head but to me like and, and I agree with you because I I'm very similar in my beliefs but then it's like if you bought nothing in plastic that really limits you for what you can buy as well it does but I think that's something that we should do my, my sister's family does it they are virtually uh -huh. plastic free they just right. don't live with plastic and you can do it. You join cooperatives, you reuse containers, and you find that the small minority of people who are willing to do that in your community, and it might be three or five or 10%, they're everywhere. People are starting to make really hard choices because it's a hard choice. Yeah. You say, I'm going to live plastic free. It's freaking hard. And you can't just go and get a snack or in some respects, you can't. Um, and they do it and they live really happily and they find their pathways to live that moral a better sense of morality than what I do. So I've got to make some more changes, even though I know I'm fairly opinionated on what is good and bad. I've got to make more changes. Yeah, yeah. And that's something for, for everyone to think about, really. <clears throat> now, you've uh, got a daughter now. How has your life changed and, and your adventuring and running and everything changed since the birth of your daughter? Yeah, yeah, hugely. Uh, I mean, I don't need to tell parents out there that kids are the best thing going around. It's been amazing. It's, it's shifted my sense of myself a lot because I was a pretty selfish, ambitious person. And I still am, but I feel like I'm selfish and ambitious now for 1.5 people. You know, I feel like I've taken on who owns the other half of May for a few more years before we kick May out the door and she can go off and do her own thing. But um, yeah, it's been excellent. It's just fun. And, and it's more about backyard adventuring now and more about homespun, slower, 
more intimate, more micro. Uh, but in saying that too, you almost think bigger. You know, my, my plastic rant a few moments ago, that very much means more to me now because May's going to copy what we do and she's she's a little sponge that says and does what mum and dad do. And so um, what, what, a, what greater sense of humanity than to teach her the things that I'm not no good at or, or trying to transition myself. Yeah. So that's the big ticket is to make a better form of us. Yeah, yeah. And obviously, you know, she's going to be taking on this world after all of us. So we have to leave the best one possible as it is for all our yeah. children. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. They take on all of our stuff ups in a sense. Yeah. And uh, I'm not sure I would have that sense of generational justice if May didn't come along. Yeah. Um, how many kids have you got, Izzy? Have you got kids? Two. I've got two. Yeah. Two kids. So there you go. You're replacing yourself and your partner and yeah. uh, they've got to be a better version of you and your partner. And, and, and that's the whole shtick. And so we have to reevaluate what we do ourselves in, in doing that. Yeah, no, I agree. And um, are you hopeful that one day she'll be joining you? Um, I mean, I know she's in your videos a bit, but that she'll actually be joining you on your adventures. Yeah, I think so. I, I mean, I really look forward to that. I've got to get past the women in my life to make sure they, they tick, give it the tick of, uh, approval. I have a pretty good radar of what I think is safe and what's not, but um, it often doesn't uh, translate to my wife or my mum, uh, my sisters. They, they often come in and say, Bo, you just, just wait a little longer for that. Like paddling, for example. Uh, so yeah, I can't wait for the, when I can plonk her in a canoe or a kayak and say, let's go. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure that would be lots of fun. Um, now, you've, I know you've been talked before about curiosity being the way to lead an interesting life. How can we apply that to life in general, but especially during life at the moment with COVID lockdowns all the time and that sort of stuff, you know, where we're a bit more restricted now in our experiences, how would you sort of apply that curiosity mindset? Well, Izzy, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not very good at advice a lot of the time. And yeah. in many respects, uh, I'm not sure where to start with how to how do I recommend someone become curious or try and get more bang for their buck out of the mundane or the everyday. Yeah. It's it's hard work. To be curious is as an adult is hard work because you have to unstitch all these adult things. Um, look, kids certainly help with that when your daughter wants to follow an ant around or or pull apart some bark for, for half an hour. Yeah. You can be bored stiff with those little things or you can embrace it and try and embrace her curiosities. And in many respects, that's what I'm doing. And look, I had this in spades, I think, before May came along. I, I think I'm a curious type. I'm, I like to know how things work or at least get an insight into how things work. Um, so for people to be curious and where, where would I recommend or, or what would be my shtick with that? It's, I suppose it's to... you you've got to try and unstitch yourself, which is hard work because we're often so ambitious about the future. Yeah. Um, and look, I have mixed feelings about this idea of presence because I think presence is, is really rewarding when you have good things to look forward to as well. So it's always that don't get too far ahead and then come back to the present, but you're always in that, you're always in transition between the future and the present. And so um I think that's what good curiosity is, is to constantly pull yourself back and think that, you know, what, what you do now is going to add stuff to the future. Yeah, yeah. And how, how do you think you came to be so curious about, about everything in life? Um, I don't know. Uh, 
I suppose because I don't want to waste time and I like to think that for commuting, for example, if I was doing that six or eight hours a week, that's a huge waste of time unless I can layer up that experience. Yeah. So I have to be interested. I, I find that I, I'm compelled to be interested with what I see along with the commute, farmers and river levels and, and the seasons and the condition of the road and what my car feels like and where I'm going to get my groceries and hardware along the way so that sort of you, you cannibalise your travel time on other aspects of your life so that you, if you're getting in a car and you're commuting, well, why not do everything that you require as being in a car along the way? Mm. Um, yeah, I just try and layer things up. And I think that's the artfulness of curiosity is to try not, not to waste time because as far as I can gather, this is, we get one crack at this and it scares the heck out of me that that's the case. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, me too. <laughs> um, now, another one of your videos, you ate beans and only beans. And then when you raced, you only ate beans. And I think that was the Lumberjack 50, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It was great. Uh, I was slow as a wet week. I wasn't much of a runner <laughs> that day. But then I, it still worked. The beans still worked. There was, and they're, they're definitely for the last half of the experiment. So I ate beans and a sort of a mix of baked beans through to ball beans and chickpeas and whatnot for... 40 days, which was the equivalent of eating my body weight in beans. Um, and so, of course, I had this high energy carbohydrate diet that went down to a low carbohydrate mm. diet. Now, I know that by a dry weight of a bean is highly dense in carbohydrate, but they're not in bean form when they're put into a slurry. Most of the mm -hmm. weight and this, you know, it's 12, 8% carbohydrate. So I've gone from a really carbohydrate rich diet to a low carbohydrate diet and my mood my energy levels, everything just slumped. But for the last week or two of the 40 days, things felt okay. You know, I felt like a human that was converting energy again. And I was able to run the 50Ks on beans, which was, you know, the, the race director at the start said, do not run downwind of bow. That is a bad <laughs> idea. So people kind of got the idea that, the, yeah, bow was out there doing his thing and it was volatile. But was it really? Did the beans, eating that many beans, have that effect on you, as we all think it no, does? No, not really. I'm I'm pretty windy bloke anyway, so it was all pretty normal. Um, <laughs> oh, I had a few days there that were like, the, you know, Patrick Swayze on the beach in Point Break. It was like the 50-year storm. I had a few days like that. <laughs> but otherwise, it was pretty normal. <laughs> yeah, I, I was wondering about that, yeah. Um, so, and how have you been... Um, coping with uh, COVID and lockdowns and all that sort of stuff, has it had much of an effect upon you? No, I, I must admit I'm in this, I'm, I mean, we're, in it, we're in it now, right? And um, yeah. I'm, I live in this beautiful little area. I'm on five acres, which in many respects is its own little ecosystem, planet, park. You could go, yeah, I could happily go months here, which we did in other various lockdowns. Down the road is, is lots of forest and um you know, I'm free to go for big long runs and rides in the bush and whatnot. So I have this hugely lucky place to live during any kind of lockdown. My wife's able to work from home, as am I. Uh, May thinks it's incredible. May's a COVID kid. She's been hothoused to heck with her parents within a metre of her the whole time, basically. So it's been excellent. But I also know that I'm pretty lucky. I, I, I The people living in uh, the city with tiny apartments and not able to expand their 5k horizon I think that's that'd yeah. be tough 
yeah well that's basically yeah me <laughs> i live in yeah. a little apartment and it is it uh, it is a bit horrible but you know we keep plugging on um mm. now you say you've got a film coming out soon are you able to give us any hints on what that one's about yeah there's lots coming out i made the big call uh six or seven months ago that there'd be a film a month for 14 months and we're already two months behind that schedule um, but there will be a big flurry coming out there's been um, four films come out already in the last six or seven months but in the next couple of weeks you're going to have the paddle to work finally after five or six years of sitting on the shelf yep. it's been reinvented and it's going to come out so that's really exciting uh, and I'm halfway through filming with the crew uh, Bad River which is a Screen Australia series with Google and YouTube They've uh, bankrolled a series that we're doing, which is just all, we've never had real money before to do filmmaking. So myself and a band of merry people have been traveling around doing all the worst rivers in Australia, the unhealthiest rivers. And I'm adventuring them in some way, going up, down, otherwise. And uh, that's that's a series that's due out in September and there'll be four episodes out by the end of the year. So they're the couple of biggies and I've got a couple of big runs in there that's all in the can too. So okay, cool. there'll be six or seven films out by the end of the year for sure. And what, what made you want to do um, a film a month for 14 months? And why 14 months? Why not 12? Well, it was, it was uh, we sort of lined it up last November uh, last year. We had a few films lined up. So we thought, righto, let's pull the trigger on this. Um, just give, and it was just a, a case of, right, we had 14 films or 14 months kind of lined up where we could get this done. Um, we've been derailed a bit by COVID and a few uh, family incidences and moving in and out of homes and office spaces and things. So a few things have sort of caught up on us, but we're, we've got to head down, bum up now and we're, we're going to go for it. But it was really just, YouTube works really well on content and it needs to be quality content, but you need to be consistent for your audience. And they've yeah. signed up and, and they want more stuff and we won't, we won't uh, sort of cheapen our quality but we certainly can increase our quantity by just being smarter about scripts and filming and just being a creative storyteller you just need to get it out there and yeah oops yep and why do you think people connect so much with your stories i have no idea is he um <laughs> when people like yourself get in touch and say hey bo we'd love to have a chat i think oh all right what do you want to chat to some you know bloke who needs to shower more living in the country um so <laughs> I, look, I think there's a sense of authenticity there. I've, I've learned to sort of filter down what is real and what is, I suppose, a sense of fun. Mm. Like, unlike a lot of filmmakers and adventurers and people who, and and they, you know, I'm lucky enough to be able to do this stuff and and not be chasing big dollars anymore. So what a great space to be in to just yeah. try and be a good storyteller and be better at it. Um, and I, so I'm just always looking for sort of the angles of truth and fun and uh, whatever the hell this thing, this sense of authenticity is. But it's you know it's just, life's easier that way, easy if you just sort of speak your mind and do what you want to do. That there's no such thing as work, and it's just one day to the next of having great fun. It's it's excellent. It, it does sound like fun, and and you make it look like fun as well, which is part of your, the art that you have is is making it look like fun. Um, yeah. So you said you've got some long runs coming up. What's that? Well, it's actually already been, but I am trying okay. back again. I, I ran with a much fitter bloke than me yesterday, and that was that was a nice reminder that Bo, you're not a hero anymore, and <laughs> <laughs> there's people out there that can run faster and longer than you. 
but I ran the McMillan's walking track in uh, April. Was it April or March? Yeah, a few months ago. So, um, look, it's sort of been done by ultra hikers and sort of pseudo runners in the last few years. But Where is um, it? So, there's a walk that runs from Omeo to Woods Point. And okay. it's a very similar kind of line across the Victorian mountains. There's the Australian Alps walking track. So it's like a small version of it, okay. 220 odd kilometers, but it goes in and out of all the major sort of wilderness river areas of that part of the world. It's, it's a hectic trail and half of it's not even there. Uh. Half of it's fire trail, all based on Angus McMillan's 1864 crossing of the mountains. Um, and Angus McMillan is a really contested character. So he's very much part of it. It's still called the McMillan's Walking Track, for example, and it probably shouldn't be. So okay. there's a fair bit of that in there um, of, yeah, me sort of flogging myself across the mountains to try and understand this bloke doing it 150 years ago and then me being, in some respects, a part of it. You know, I've got a red beard and I come from a similar part of the world to a lot of the explorers did and I'm now benefiting by living in the lands they cleared. So mm -hmm. it was very much a, a search for uh, a few more answers um and it was a great run amazing landscape and hard yeah. bloody hell i suffered yeah but um sometimes in the suffering that's where the good stories are yeah look and it's kind of suffering within a bandwidth too yeah. because you can just stop and camp and just take an extra night there's no worries yeah. um were you so, yeah, were you uh, aiming there, to do it in a certain amount of time or was there any sort of goal like that yeah well i tried in december and got and got totally cooked um it was a really hot day that I started. I went in peak summer at the summer solstice, that week of the longest day of the year. So I thought I'll use maximum daylight to just, I'll use every ounce of daylight essentially. And the rest of the time I'll rest and sleep. Uh, but just cooked myself on day one and probably was a bit underdone for the, the real, uh, the vertical loss and gain. Um, it's all very well to train, train hard numbers in terms of time, but you need to, it needs to be good quality training. And I was just underdone. Yeah. So I went back to the drawing board and did lots of different training, lots more vert, lots more time on my feet. Um, and it paid off. I, I had some good strong legs under me and feet that didn't fall apart. And it was excellent. It's really good. Uh, yeah, that was the reinvention. And when's that one looking at coming out? August at this stage. So August or within spitting distance of it. Um, we're not willing to release the date yet at the place. We've got one lined up. But uh, you'll be, I'll certainly tell you about it, Izzy, and get you along for a premiere screening. It'll, it will more than likely be in Melbourne uh, in the CBD somewhere around August, end of August. Awesome. That's something to look forward to for all the people in Melbourne. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's right. And that, the beauty of lockdown is that people are voracious for events yeah. and for pubs and cafes when this opens up. Yeah. I feel for all the hospitality and... No, yeah. Well, yeah, of course. Poor buggers, but... Yeah. Yeah, we'll give them lots of, we'll get some lots of stuff to come see at the other side of this. Yeah, that sounds like a really good plan. <laughs> and um, so thank you so much for coming on to chat with me. If people wanted to follow, if they don't already, um, which I'm, I'm sure most do, but just in case there's one or two out there that still don't, can you let them know how they can do yeah, that? Yeah, jump on to Instagram, Boisms on Instagram. That's that's always a bit of fun. Uh, I'm not a big uh, content man, but there's good stuff there, Boisms. And just YouTube, just jump on YouTube and, yeah. check out my book I reckon it's a pretty good yarn although I'm pretty biased it's probably <laughs> crappy as you I don't know but it's, no, no, um, I enjoyed it a, I enjoyed it it's got a nice cover <laughs> <laughs> backyard adventurer yeah jump onto booktopia and get a yeah. copy 
Yeah, no, it's, it's um, I really, I like it how it, it gives you more of a background into the videos as well. So it's, it's a really good compliment, I find. Thanks, mate. Yeah, I, I enjoyed writing. The next one's uh, 18 months away. Oh, another one. Excellent. Another book on the go. Yep. Yep. Good for you. Oh, well, you're very busy at the moment then, aren't you? Yeah, that's right. I mean, now that May is um, somewhat independent, we'll put her out to work soon. She's almost <laughs> two, so she can start yeah. earning her keep in the next year or two. Okay. Yeah, she's, she's this really fun little part of the family now where we can sort of get on with our things and have her as a part of us rather than us just being uh, her yeah. nucleus. So, um, yeah, it's great. Yeah, yeah. No, no, I agree. Having kids is awesome fun, and especially at that age. All righty. Well, thanks again. And um, hopefully we can maybe catch up again when the second book comes out. Good on you, Izzy. Thanks, chatting. All right. Thanks for that. See ya. I hope you enjoyed my chat with Bo. Don't forget to go out and grab his book. It's a really good read. As always, if you have any ideas for future interviews or topics, please let me know. Don't forget to send me an audio message of the best running advice you have ever received. Have a great week of running and racing.